When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listeners, my name is Earl Breon. I am the host of the Burden of Command podcast. Today, my guest is Mr. Joe Calloway. Joe is a fellow Tennessean, uh, fellow Predators fan, go Preds, and he is an author of of several books. I'm going to just name about three of them here, and I highly encourage you all to go check out the rest. Uh, Leadership Mindset, Keep It Simple, and Becoming a Category of One. Joe, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on, Earl. Yeah, no, and, and uh, you know, as I was talking when we were setting up for this, uh, our mutual friends, uh, Jim Bouchard and, and Alexander Armstrong, I uh, kind of thought we'd make a good conversational uh, duo here. So uh, we're going to have them on in a couple episodes. I'm excited about that. So, oh, they're, they're great. They are absolutely great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love them to death. So, well, let's go ahead and get started with the first question I ask all my guests. Sure. The phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, it's interesting. When I when I first heard that and that that was the name of your show, I had a little bit of a negative reaction to burden. And I thought, well, God, you don't want to call it a burden. Now, wouldn't you want to go with responsibility, and something a little more positive? But then I, the more I thought about it, and I like it because it is, I think, a really thought-provoking phrase, there is an element of a burden that goes with command and that goes with with leadership. And so uh, I I think that it goes along with responsibility in that any leader who truly is a a servant-oriented leader is going to feel that really strong, strong, powerful level of responsibility and it is a sense of a burden of, of command because when you're in command, um, th- 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 so much depends on you. And so I, I ended up really liking the phrase because it made me think. <laughs> well, good. Uh, that's what I'm hoping is, is the, you know, this podcast makes people think. And I, I like that because, you know, it does. It's in my, in, in my experiences, you know, my background being in the Marines, we use that phrase yeah. quite a bit in the military, yeah. burden of command. And that was what it was meant to be, was to convey that, that responsibility, that, that yeah. as a leader, your actions have the ultimate uh, responsibility for everybody under your command, as we called it in the military. Yeah. And, 
and I get a lot of reactions like that when I talk about it in the civilian world. And, and we kind of come back to where you got there with the, the responsibility. And, and that's why I wanted to name the show Burden of Command because I wanted everybody to to really go through that process and, and think about it. And, and so I've gotten some really good answers so far. Uh, and, and I really like like how you process it. So so thank you for that. Good. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess, you know, your answer and, and coming in there, it kind of comes into and I think this is another reason why Jim and Alex thought we'd hit it off is a lot of your work from what I've been able to, to gather from reading the books and looking at interviews, you put a real focus on simplicity. Yeah. And I love that. So, so why is simplicity such a powerful thing? i tell you why I ended up really zeroing in on that is one of my, uh, one of my key principles that I, I work with leadership groups on is because during the course of my career, which is 30 plus years, I've gotten to work with some really, really excellent, really effective leaders from all kinds uh, of companies and all kinds of organizations. And what always fascinated me was to look for the threads of commonality. What is it that, that really good, good, effective leaders have in common? And one of them that kept coming up for me was that an effective leader is able to simplify the complicated. When you look at ineffective leaders, very often that ineffectiveness comes from their team, their their organization. Uh, They're not clear on what's expected of them, on what the vision is, on what the goal is, on what the strategy is, on what the tactics are. There's a a lot of lack of clarity. And then when you flip that and look at really effective organizations, the leader is able to simplify so that everybody goes, I get it. I understand where we're going. I understand how we're going to get there. And I understand what's expected of me. So it just really kept jumping out at me as a, a core leadership responsibility to be able to simplify the complicated. Yeah, and it's, it's I mean, again, it's it's such a, a powerful concept. I mean, you have people, uh, Albert Einstein was famous for saying, if you, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think that's what it boils down to. It's like, it's, it's very easy. It, it, and I run into this all the time myself. It's very easy to overcomplicate simple. It's it's a lot harder to simplify the complicated. I talk about that all the time. People will say, well, why do we make things complicated? And you just gave my exact answer. I say the reason we make things complicated is because it's so so easy to make things complicated. Any any knucklehead can make something complicated. But to take, take, to take a situation that is challenging, and particularly one that's challenging in its kind of innate complexity, and then simplify that, man, that's, that's a powerful thing. And when you look, I mean, we just look at, I'll, I'll, I'll be working with a leadership group, and I'll say, let me ask you guys, in your experience, which is almost always the most effective answer, the most effective solution, the simple one and the, or the complicated one. And of course, they all say it's the simple one. Uh, but you're, you're dead on the money, and I agree 100%. We complicate because it's easy. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and so 
I, I think there's a little bit of an ego in there sometimes too. Is like, hey, this is a solution that only I could get to, and and you know how how do you get leaders to get comfortable? Because uh, again, this is what I've ran into is like when you start talking about simplification, sometimes when that ego gets in the way, leaders start feeling, hey, if we can simplify this to where anybody can do it, then I'm replaceable. And yeah. how do you get past that? You know, the way I do it is is through example. Uh, and when I work with groups, I, I, you know, my approach is not to say, here's what I think makes sense. My approach is to say, guys, this isn't my opinion. This is what the marketplace says works. So let me give you example after example after example of really great leaders that we can all agree are excellent uh, at, at leadership. And let's just look at the way they all are able to simplify. And then I'll, I'll flip the coin and I'll give an example. Oh my gosh, one of my favorites. I had a client years ago, Earl, that called together his, I don't know, 25 or 30 top people on his leadership team. And he came in and it was, I wish I had a video of it. He was pounding the, the, the lectern up where he was speaking, just pounding it. And he kept saying, you guys have to get your people on board. That's where you're not doing a good job. You've got to get your people on board. And he's screaming and foaming at the mouth. And finally he walks out and there's dead silence in the room because everybody's uncomfortable because of the tension. And finally somebody said what everybody was thinking, which was get, a, get them on board with what? <laughs> because his great failure as a leader was there was no clarity about the vision and the mission and where they were trying to go. Well, if you make that complicated, then you're dead in the water to start with. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if you just appeal to people's common sense and experience, and if you say, look, if you want to be a leader on the level of, say, a Steve Jobs of Apple, who was to me the ultimate guru of mastering simplicity, then you got to step up your game and you've got to be able to to, to make it simple. But you really do with some people, you're right, you have to flip their thinking about that. Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and I love that. And, and Steve Jobs is a great example. You know, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people are familiar with his, his, I mean, he took the simplification as far as his wardrobe. He wore the black turtleneck and the blue yeah, jeans. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah. And, you know, it, it's been my experiences again, that, that when, when sometimes when leaders have that innate, sense of, of overcomplicating and, and overexplaining, to me, I read that as a lack of faith in, in their staff. Uh, they, they, they don't feel comfortable that they've hired the right people, that if they let them go to their own devices, that maybe yeah. they're not going to get to, a, quote, the correct solution. And, and to me, that is usually some kind of a signal of the hiring process as well. Oh, that's an interesting point. That, yeah, to, that you have to look at your hiring. And you know, when you were talking about that, I, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall seeing a number of times a quote from from uh, General George Patton. I can't remember the quote exactly, but it was along the lines of what you were just saying, which was you can either tell people what you expect of them and then explain to them how to do it, or you can be a leader and say, here's the objective. Go do it. 
go figure it out. But you raise a great point. In order for a leader to be able to do that, they've got to know they've got the right people. And, and that does get back to the hiring process. So, yeah, that's, that's an important part of the formula. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that patent quote is, is a great one. And there's so, you know, one of the things I like to do, I like to inject history. And, and there's a story of uh, Admiral uh, Nelson. Uh, uh, he died at the Battle of Trafalgar. But uh, before that, this was a naval battle. And up until this point, you know, it was very complicated. There was flag signals and the boats had to be, you know, these were the old tall ships and they had to be in a certain position so they could receive the flag signals and everything was very rigid and structured. And going into the Battle of Trafalgar, he was outnumbered, he was outgunned, he was outmanned by all the rules of classical naval warfare. This thing was over. He, he was yeah. dead. It was just a formality of firing the cannons. But he gathered his captains from each one of the ships beforehand, and the guidance he gave them was, no captain can do wrong that pulls themselves alongside the enemy vessel. Oh, wow. That was his orders. And he died. He got shot through the spine, like I think it was like 30 minutes into the battle. But because he left them with those clear, simple instructions, yeah. they were able to go on and win, even after he died. And you, and you know, I see the same thing in business. I'll see, uh, I'll see a CEO or an executive get up on stage in front of all the leaders or even all the employees and, and talk for an hour about the, the 27 things that, that we've got to do in the next year and if that's their approach, I mean, you can almost bet that these people are not going to have a good year. But then there's the leader gets up in front of everybody and she'll say, folks, we got to do three things. And I'm a, by the way, I'm a huge fan. And, and I, I do this in my leadership workshops. I'm a huge fan of getting people to boil, <clears throat> boil what they want to achieve down to getting three things right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I've got lots of examples that I use with them on how that works. But if you can say, folks, there's three things that we have to do. And if we do those three things well, if we do them consistently with excellence, we'll be fine. Because people can wrap their head around three things. But it's really difficult to wrap your head around. It's like, early it's like when people say, well, we have 14 priorities. Well, <laughs> if you've got 14, then, then you don't have any. Mm -hmm. You can't have 14 priorities. It, it just doesn't work that way. It was like, um, so I don't know if you ever saw a TV show called Parks and Rec. Yeah, uh, I did. It was okay. Good. Well, so you may know where I'm going. There was a character on there, Ron Swanson, and one of his quotes was, Never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that was written for comedy, but it's it's profound because we, we try to do that a lot. We try to we try to multitask. We try to make everything a priority. We try to triage uh, instead of plan. And, and you know, the neuroscience is in. Humans can't multitask. They they think they can. Yeah. But when you look at the neuroscience, all we do is rapidly flip back and forth between tasks. We don't multitask. You know, it's funny. I keep flipping in this conversation. My mind keeps flipping to different quotes and metaphors and sayings. And and you were when you were giving me that last one, I thought about an old Chinese kind of a proverb. And it's about the man who chases many rabbits 
the one thing you know for sure is he's not going to catch any rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and it's funny, though, that's a, that is a great metaphor because I think a lot of people could probably relate to that. They feel like as they go through the course of the day, they're chasing a whole bunch of rabbits. And if you're chasing a bunch of them, you're, you're not going to catch any of them. So, yeah, this, this, I tell you, I'm such a fan of the power of clarity and the power of focus. You show me a team that shares a team focus on one thing, and I'm not going to bet against them. I'm just not. Because uh, a, a shared focus is incredibly effective, and good leaders can help make that happen. Well, yeah, and, and there's no better example, and, and I, I use them a lot, uh, you know, when you look at fast food, Chick-fil-A. I mean, they're a perfect example of what you're talking about. Their menu is simple. They do chicken. Sure, it comes to various sizes and forms, but they do chicken. They do it really well. They've got a solid culture. Uh, you know, if you go to one Chick-fil-A, the experience is going to be what it is at every other Chick-fil-A you've yeah. ever been to. Yeah. And and they, they compete and literally with one arm tied behind their back. They they aren't open on Sundays, which They're is closed on Sunday for Pete's sake. They're a fast food <laughs> yeah. restaurant, and and they stay closed on like Super Bowl Sunday, which is one of the best yeah. days of the year to sell chicken. Yeah, and, and I, th I think I read recently an article comparing sales per square foot of fast food restaurants, and they sell more per square foot than any other fast food restaurant in the country. Right, uh, they're just so well. You can drive by any Chick Fil A. And, and normally you will see a long line of cars uh -huh. uh, waiting to go through. Yep. Yep. And, and again, I think that goes back to what, what you were talking about earlier, that, that power of simplicity, that power of the culture. You, you can't talk to a Chick-fil-A employee that doesn't know what's expected of them. And they have a very low turnover rate. Chick-fil-A hardly right. fires people. Yeah. Uh, you, you either fit in or you don't. No harm, no foul. You just fit in or you move on. Yeah, and you know something? It, it's, it's interesting going back to what you just said about Chick-fil-A, about that uniformity and consistency. Not that they're a bunch of clones because they're not. They, I, you, you'll see all sorts of personalities in a, in a Chick-fil-A, but they do have some things in common. Uh, it's like Southwest Airlines hires people that know how to have fun, mm -hmm. how to have fun with each other and how to have fun with pastors. Chick-fil-A hires people who want to be gracious and, and courteous and uh, welcoming to customers. But one thing that, that I like to, to use as kind of a test is that I should be able to go to any employee in your company and say, so what are you guys all about here? What's the point? What are you trying to do? And I tell you, at a lot of companies, maybe even most of them, they would, that employee would look at me and say, what do you mean, what are we all about? What kind of question is that? But at the really good companies, they'll say, I'll tell you exactly what we're about. And they might, not, as a matter of fact, at the best ones, they won't give you some canned, memorized, you know, pitch, but they will all say the same thing because they're all on the same page. And they're all going in the same direction with the same goal, right? Well, no. And as you were as you were explaining it, like the the other company that popped in my head was was Zappos, and and what oh, I loved yeah. about Zappos when they started was they they said 
they didn't want to be a shoe company with great customer service. They wanted to be a great customer service company that sold shoes. Yeah. And, and, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we could tell Zappos stories for three hours solid. <laughs> I mean, what an amazing organization. And all of that comes straight down from Tony Shea, uh, the CEO who started Zappos. And when, and you know, uh, Credit to Amazon, when Amazon bought Zappos, they pretty much left them alone mm -hmm. as far as their culture and their leadership, which was a very, very smart thing for them to do. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So so hopefully, hopefully, after uh, you know a few minutes here talking about it, our, our, our listeners uh, ha have really understood and grasped this, this power of simplicity. But just in case they haven't, is there anything that we've missed that you think that they should know about why simplicity is such a great thing to, to embrace? Well, you know, one more example pops in my head, which is an example and a, and a quote. The quote is this, and I love this. It's old. I mean, it's from like the medieval times. And I, I if I looked in my files, I could tell you who the author was, and I would love to give him credit, but I can't recall his name right now. But he said, you're not finished when you've added everything that you can add. You're finished when you've taken away everything that you can take away. Mm. And I love that because a lot of the, the companies that I work with fall into the trap of saying, hey, you know what else we could do? <laughs> and now that can be a good thing. I mean, you don't want to be blind to new opportunities, but a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking that whoever does the most generally wins. And I disagree with that. What I believe is whoever does the most important and does it really well, that's who usually wins. And, and all of that to me gets back to let's simplify what we're about. Let's simplify what we're trying to accomplish and let's simplify how we're going going to go about getting it done. Yeah, no, I love that, and and you know that's why I believe you know there's a lot of people who have done a lot of, of good work. Uh, Simon Sinek has written a bunch of books and articles sure. and stuff about why the find your yeah. why. But I really believe that what you just said is is a good reason as to why why is the first question we learn to ask as as kids. And it's still the most powerful question because I, I truly believe if you ask why enough, you'll get to that simplicity. I agree. I, I t you know, if more people, uh, golly, just I've started saying their work life, but it, this applies to your personal life as well. If more people would do exactly that and say, well, wait a second, <laughs> let's, let's get clear. Why are we doing this? And if everybody would give more thought to that, what is it? What's our ultimate goal that we're trying to accomplish? They would be a lot more effective because a lot of times we confuse activity with productivity. <laughs> and sometimes there's a big, big difference between those two. Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, the uh, it goes back to some of the, the Stephen Covey, you know, works with the, the prioritization. And, yeah. and and I was listening to one of your videos getting ready for this and heard you talk about, you know, when you go into an organization and they talk about they've got, you know, a list of this, 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 and this to do, 
but there's no priority. There's no what yeah. is actually important and what can get pushed to the side and how do you clean up that clutter? Uh, and, and it comes back to that. It's like, why are we here? What are we doing? And, and the answers to those questions are, are clarifying. They help you prioritize, right? Well, yeah, and they, and they help get you, they help show you the difference between busy and productive. Because mm-hmm. you can be busy all day long and not accomplished anything meaningful. Believe me, I've been there and done that. Oh, yeah. I've been crazy busy and not really gotten much done that mattered. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that that why and the simplicity really important leadership factors. Well, yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I think a lot of people miss about goals and goal setting. You know, I, I, I tell people, you know, yes, go through all the exercises out there for your goals and goal setting. But the one thing that having your goals clearly thought out does is it gives you that clarifying question. Does this move me closer to my goal? If yes, proceed. If no, I'm not going to say don't do it, but you really need to have a deeper thought about whether you need to do it or not. Man, that's that's such a great point, And it brings up an idea that I heard from a friend of mine years ago. Uh, and I talk about this a lot, but I had never talked about it using these words. He said, what you're doing is you're making decisions in advance mm-hmm. so that when something comes up, should I do this or should I do this? You go, wait a minute. We've already we've already thought this through. We're, we're going to do the thing that will best advance our strategy and get us towards our goal. There's a fabulous example that I use all the time uh, about Great Britain had an eight-man rowing team in the uh, 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney. And they they came up with, I call it a filter system. And this system was a question. It's kind of a why question, but it's even more specific. The question was, will it make the boat go faster? Hmm. And so think about that. Think about how powerful that is. With every single decision they made, I mean, mean even down to, I mean, of course, there's the obvious ones like how do we train, what equipment do we use, uh, but even down to what do we eat, how do we sleep, they would always say, will it make the boat go faster? And if it didn't, then they knew they were on the wrong track. So uh, I, I love that metaphor. I use, I use it in my own business all the time. Yeah, well, no, that's good. I mean, because, I mean, that that's why they're there, right? That's why they exist, to, to exactly. have the fastest boat. That's the uh, point. Uh, yeah, no, that that is great. I, I, I hadn't heard that story before, so so thanks for well, sharing. Well, there's, there's a book by that title written by one of the members of the Olympic team. It's called Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? I've read it. It's a, it's a great, great lesson in, link, in leadership and teamwork. Oh, well, I am going to write that down real quick. Yeah, it's a good and, one. Uh, Okay. Well, look, so again, uh, we've talked quite a bit about simplicity and, and all that. We've we kind of mentioned your books in the beginning, uh, but one of the things that you, you do, and, and I don't know how big of a piece of your business it is, but it seems like a pretty decent uh, uh, portion is the, our, you call them the Next Success Workshops. Yeah. So first of all, the name, what is, uh, that's an interesting name, Next Success. What does that mean? Yeah, I tell you, it really came from a combination of my own experience and then some other people that I personally knew. And the situation was, well, in my case, for example, there were things that I had done 
and I had done them well and they had worked to a certain degree. By the way, let me also say I've got more than my share of things that didn't work, but uh, that's that's just part of the journey, I think. But I, I look at people that did well and were successful, and yet something in them said, I know there's a next thing for me. And, and the phrase just popped in my head, you're thinking about what's your next success. And the same thing holds true for a lot of my leadership. Uh, I, I work with teams of leaders doing workshops to help them get focused and get clarity and and uh, move on to the next level. And so there are entire companies that are in search of their next success, or some people call it taking it to the next level. But that's really what the idea is. And my, my tagline is that I help successful people and successful leadership teams think through, strategize, and take action on their next success. You know, the one thing I like about the phrase is it's just got such a darn, just such a positive spin to it when you say next success. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of, yeah, there's more and I'm capable of more and I want to challenge myself. And uh, I just want, I want to bump it up a notch. So that's, that's really what both my workshops and my coaching are all about is how do you get to your next success and what's that going to look like? No, I, I like that. And, and so there's two things I want to touch on there with your, your answer. Like the first one you, you hit, and, and I hope people heard it, and, and, and I hope they really latch on to it, but you, you mentioned failures, right? Uh, failures, it's, it's such a critical part of success. And, and I'm going to admit I had to look this up because I want to get it right. But there's, there's a famous quote from Michael Jordan, and, and I want to get all these numbers right. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. And it's like, boom. You know, I mean, sure, success is always the goal, but it doesn't always happen the way you think it's going to happen, right? No. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's funny. Um the greatest race driver, certainly one of the greatest race drivers in history, was Mario Andretti. And I love a quote from him. He said, if every if everything feels like it's under control, you're not going fast enough. <laughs> I like that. But I like that. that kind of gets to the idea of you've got to stretch and you've got to be willing to... To learn and to gain information, for example, from the marketplace. And to do that, you've got to put stuff out there. Mm. You've got to try things. And sometimes it's not going to work. But when it doesn't work, you get information. And you go, okay, now I've got more input. Now I know how to adjust. Now I know that I need to change direction. And I don't think you can point to any uh, successful person in any field or any endeavor that if you were to ask them all, have you ever failed? They'll just start laughing and say, it's like Michael Jordan. They'll say, have I ever failed? Are you kidding? Yes. But, and of course, now we're getting into 
cliche stuff, which is, it's not about, you know, it's not about how many times you fall down, it's about how many times you get back up. Right. But that's a cliche because it's true. And so, yeah, yeah there is an element of failure. And I, I openly talk about uh, my things that I've tried in my career that just, you know, going in, I thought it was the greatest idea in the world. <laughs> and as it turned out, I was the only one. <laughs> Well, I think, like you said, I think we've all been there. Any, anybody who's, uh, you know, again, you talk about cliches. I'm trying to uh, to remember exactly how the one goes. The the quote about uh, anybody, uh, the only person who's never failed is the person who's never tried. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true. Uh, but I, I tell you, the other thing I liked about the name "Next Success" is, you know, it, it, to me, it's almost like a challenge, right? Because a lot of times people have success, and and for some people, it's like, okay, I've succeeded, and now the pack is off, I'm here, I'm good. Yeah. Now, for some people, that's that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's, it can be. But what's next? You know, what's the next thing? What can you do better? Now, word of caution to people out there, there are people who get kind of like chronically ill with the next thing, so you yeah. got to be careful with that. But, you know... Once you have success, it's not bad to ask yourself, what is my next success going to be? What can I build on to make either this better or something different better? And to do that, you've got to be willing to risk. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing. You you know, in in my last book was called The Leadership Mindset. And in it, um, I I quote a, a bank CEO of this bank and him have been clients of mine for a long, long time. And this is, oh my gosh, are these guys, this bank is so successful and they do so well. And um, this CEO was being interviewed and the question was, you guys try a lot of new things in the marketplace. What's your success rate? Now this is a bank. Banks are by nature conservative creatures. They can, they, well, part of it, they have to be because of regulation, because of their fiduciary responsibility to their customers. But he said, and I love this, he said, uh, we probably succeed about half the time mm. on the things that we try to do. And he said it without apology and with just surety and confidence. But he, he said it, with the, with the confidence that comes from being a really good, strong leader. But I love that. He said, yeah, we probably fail about half the time with what we try. And um, I just think most, most people in leadership positions feel at least to a certain extent that way, that they're willing to risk to get to the next level. Yeah, well, you know, and, and there's a gentleman uh, who I think – you know, I, and I love what you said there. There's a gentleman who I think is kind of leading the way in in preaching that specifically the 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 try fail move on, and uh, that's yeah. that's Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, he he talks about sure. You know, he goes, I, I try every, every new social media app that comes out of market. I'm one of the first people to download it. I try it. If it's got legs, I stick with it. If it doesn't, I move on to the next one. There's always going to be a next one, but one of them's going to work, and it's going to be worth all of the other stuff I invested in the failure. Yeah, exactly. I work with a lot of startups and for entrepreneurs, particularly in a startup situation, what I tell them is I say, look, you are largely 
in an information gathering phase because you've got an idea, you're going to take it to market, and you are, as I was saying earlier, and you are going to gather information because it's probably not going to be a home run when you first roll it out. There's going to be some stuff that doesn't work. There's going to be some stuff that's wrong with it. And that's okay. That's part. It's part of the information gathering process. And so you go back, you adjust. I've got a friend. He even wrote a book by this title. I love, love this old saying. I think you'll like this. Here it is. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing wrong. Mm. And the idea behind that is if you wait until, we touched on this earlier, if you wait until you are 100% sure it's absolutely going to work, then you'll probably never do it. Uh, and if you never do it, it's a potentially good idea wasted. So do it, do it wrong, then do it better. <laughs> well, and that goes back, you mentioned Patton earlier. One of his other famous quotes is uh, a uh, a good plan violently executed today yes. is better than a perfect plan executed next week. I've got to say this because it's bouncing around in my mind. We're talking about taking risk. And I keep flashing on the scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid <laughs> where their last resort to get away is to jump off a cliff mm. into a river 200 feet below. And uh, and so the Sundance Kid, uh, Robert Redford, admits to Paul Newman, Butch Cassidy, he says, I can't swim. And and Butch Cassidy just starts laughing his head off and says, can't swim? Hell, the fall will probably kill you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. No, I like that. that. That's a great scene in the movie. Too. <laughs> but uh, sometimes, sometimes you just have to jump. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, and, and the other thing is, right, is is we've talked a lot about the, the keep it simple and, and find your next success and all that. But you're not the only person doing it, right? So if you wait until it's perfect for you, somebody exactly. else is already in the market. Somebody's already there. They tried it, they adjusted, and now it's theirs. Yeah. And and all that preparation. It, again, I love in, infusing history, and, and it's it's the Civil War, right? General McClellan, uh, during the Civil War for the, for the Union, was, by all accounts, the better general. But Grant was the one that actually took the army and put them to use. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and that's that's the key. You know, I mean, that's the key. You 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 can plan, but well, McClell- McClellan planned forever. Yeah. <laughs> he planned. He marched. He groomed. He he had the inspection ready, but they they, they never used. And it's, but it goes back to modern. Uh, I believe it was Eisenhower. Uh, you know, that said, uh, everybody's got a plan until the bullets start flying. That's right. Yeah. And, and so all you can do is be prepared and be nimble and adjust. And again, we come back to that's why simplicity is, is, is amazing, because the more simplistic the plan, the easier it's to adapt. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Well, that's a, wow, I never thought of it that way. That's, I'm going to write that one down. I'm, I'm stealing that from you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's my gift for being a guest. <laughs> there you go. No, that's a good, that's a great way to look at it. The simpler the plan, the easier it is to adjust, the easier it is to execute. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. So, okay, we started talking about the the, the workshops, the Next Success workshops, yeah. and we kind of got into the name and, 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 and all that. So, um, you know, if an organization is sitting here thinking about uh, pulling the trigger, what can they expect? What do you help them through yeah. during the workshop? 
Yeah, and I'll tell you the way we do it. It's not a speech. Uh, we do. I do this. I generally work with groups of 10 or fewer. I'll work with the leadership team, and we sit around a table, and the client provides the venue and the table, and uh, I work with them beforehand, uh, the CEO or whoever, and talk to them about, okay, what are the issues? You know, what's top of mind for you guys? And a lot of the times, Earl, it, the, the main one is we know we need to, to bump it up a notch. And a lot of times they will say, but we feel like we're a little bit scattered. Uh, we could do much better with the resources and the people that we've got if we were better focused. Sometimes they'll say uh, we need to get a handle on our culture because that's a huge hot button of mine. <laughs> if your culture's not right, it's not going to work. I don't care what you're trying to do. If your culture's out of whack, uh, and if you're not in alignment as far as values and purpose, then it's it's just not going to work. So what I do is I lead a discussion that we all take part in, and I'll ask them questions, and I'll say, okay, you guys talk about this for a minute, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll open it up to the whole table. And it's a combination of my outside perspective from having worked with a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders, uh, good ones, bad ones, and bringing, passing on those ideas and, and that perspective combined with their own perspective and, and their own wisdom and their own leadership ability and get them to the point that after two, a two or three hour discussion, they've got sometimes a basis to move forward with discussions that will start to involve other members of the team, but always with the goal of having more clarity on where they're going and how they're gonna get there. So that's basically what it is. It's a workshop, but it's a let's sit around the table workshop. Now, I also offer uh, a version that's more of a classroom style, up to 50 people, but I do want it to be a leadership group. And even with 50 people, though, it's still very, very interactive. And I don't, the thing I don't want, Earl, is I don't want people to sit around and think about things theoretically and think, well, okay, that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. I want them thinking about what they're going to do when they go back to work that's going to be different, that's going to make things more effective. And a phrase that I that I love that will help them advance their strategy. Mm. I, and I love that, and I love your approach there. You're talking about having the conversation with, because, you know, nothing, nothing bugs me more than the the being talked to uh and and i like the the interactivity that's one of the things we try to do is be very interactive i, I yeah. sure do i have a few slides just for background noise but yeah. if i never touch a slide and we have a good conversation i'm just as happy oh yeah uh, well no i i love it and i love the conversation we've had and i will have uh links to uh to to all your information social media your oh, website uh, you know, and, and folks, we've been talking about simplicity. Uh, when you see Joe's website, and this is not a negative thing, this is a beautiful thing. Joe's website is one of the sleekest, simple, streamlined, impactive websites I think I've, I've ever seen. Um, I mean, you have 
there's there's essentially three tabs: home, books, blog. Boom. Yeah, and most uh, a lot of people never get past home, which is fine. When I I tore my website down about three months ago and put up this brand new one, and my number one goal with Brian, my web designer, was Brian, I want this to be, <laughs> I want this to be the simplest website in the history of the internet, <laughs> and you can just scroll down, um, and it's it's pretty short, and you can see everything there is to see in a very short amount of time. Yeah, and it is it is beautiful and and uh, speaking of the blog piece, uh, you know I get most people don't get past the homepage, but there's a lot of good stuff in the blog. And you talk about Brian and, and some stuff you've written recently about uh, the amazing simple overlooked advantage. Uh, and, and I'm gonna like uh, I'll maybe at least embed a link to part one because I think everybody needs to read that blog. Well, I love that. Thank you. That'd be yeah. great. Um, well, look, Joe, man, this has been a pleasure. I know, uh, you know, we're coming up on, actually, we're coming up on 45 minutes here. It seems like time is, has uh, flown. Um, it's been great talking with you. I'm going to have to uh, say this is this is one of my favorite conversations. Sorry, Dov, if you're listening. I love you too, <laughs> guy, but this has been a great Tennessee in here. Um, but I always like to give, I have one question I like to ask in the beginning, and I have one question I like to ask at the end. Okay. Is there anything we haven't discussed yet that you would like to share with the audience? Um, you know, the thing that pops into my, my mind is uh, remember, I would, I would ask and advise everybody listening, <clears throat> always remember what's most important to you personally. What do you value most? Uh and, and a lot of people, for example, this isn't the only answer, it's just one answer, but some people would say family. Well, if, if family is what matters most, make sure that your life and the way you work is in alignment with that value. Uh, and, and that would hold true for whatever your answer is. Uh, I think just having clarity about what's most important to you and what you value most. And that's a form of, of making things simple. Um, but I think it's really important to think about that and then you're, then truly live your life in alignment with whatever that value is. Mm. That is that is good stuff. That is definitely good stuff. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, join me in thanking uh, Mr. Callaway for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Uh, as I've said, I'm going to have his contact information on the show notes so you can get in touch with him. If you have anything for me, I'm easy to reach. Just burden.command at gmail.com. If you have any questions, uh, comments, if you have a guest you'd like to hear me interview, hit me up there. And I, I just want to thank you for spending uh, the last 45 minutes or so with Joe and I. And we'll uh, talk with you again in the next episode. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. 
With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electrocast.com and join our community today. Electrocast. Transform your influence. Electrocast. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Electric acid.